The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Today, I'll speak with Giannis Sitos of Gold Source Mines, currently producing gold and Guyana, South America. I'll chat with Mike Rapsch of Silvercrest Metals, identifying bonanza grades of silver in Sonora State, Mexico. Sean Dollinger of Namaste Technologies joins us. Namaste is the second largest e-commerce retailer of vaporizers globally. Also on the program, Chris Bunka of Luxaria Bioscience, a food sciences company focused on the delivery of hemp oil compounds produced from legal agricultural hemp seed oil through gourmet foods products based on its proprietary infusion technology. Let's go. Join me now for a conversation with Giannis Sitos, president of Gold Source Mines, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GXS.V. Gold Source is a Canadian junior mining company producing gold in mining friendly English speaking Guyana, bordering the Caribbean and South America. Giannis, welcome back to the program. Thank you for the invitation, Alice. Thanks for For listeners new to your company, please give us an overview of Gold Source Mines. Gold Mine Sync is a Canadian resources uh, junior company listed under the symbol GXS in Canada and GXSFF in the United States. We have moved to our main assets are in Guyana, especially the Eagle Mountain Gold Mine. Call it mine because, as you know, in 2016, we concluded construction in January. On budget and on time, we initiated about six months of commissioning period, which we concluded in mid-summer, as we announced and now effectively we are in, uh, I would say, third month of operation. You just released news about your production results for Q3 of 2016. Let's talk about that. I would like to remind your listeners, and especially for people who for first time hear the Gold Source Mine story, that this is a mine in development that goes in progress for the next three years. What we are pioneering and we are very proud of is uh, our engineering team, a specialist of uh, starting up production with a very low capital upfront, and then over a period of three to four years, built up the mine through a set of expansions. So more capital in other words, is coming over the next three years to significantly increase the amount of throughput of, in other words, the amount of tonnes that we will be processing and therefore the amount of ounces that will be produced. But in this way, you de-risk the project as you go. It's different than just outlaying $150 million up front and starting a medium-sized mine in gold business where lots of things sometimes can go wrong from metallurgy to, you know, other kind of issues as you go and already you have laid down your investment. In our case, we we are taking a prudent approach uh, from a point of view that we outlay smaller amounts of capital and we'll build it up uh, then with time. This way we control much better our risks. Now, coming back to what I said before, the plan on when I said commissioning and production in uh, June, July, it was to produce 1,000 
tons per day on one shift in terms of throughput and expectation to produce about 1,500 to 2,000 ounces because it's a short year. Then next year, obviously, go with a bigger expansions in terms of introducing a night shift that we are facing in, as we said today on our news release, in this quarter, in the Q4 of this year, 2016, and then deliver it as a full night shift by the conclusion of the first quarter of 2017. Subsequently to that, we want to introduce a lead reactor and then build a copycat plant to double the amount of capacity, effectively targeting by 2018 about 4,000 tons a day and about 30 to 35,000 ounces per annum and that's the capacity. So we are in the first baby steps I would say. We haven't broken even yet. We are planning to break even hopefully before the end of this year so in just a couple of months and coming back to the news of today, yes we indeed produced about 175 ounces in this last quarter but I would like to say that was attributable mainly to September because in August we had one month down by introducing a truck from coming from Canada and also making some improvements on our processing plant. You expect to be able to break even by the end of the year and by sometime in 2018, which is over a year away, you expect to generate between 7 to $10 million of gross revenue per year. That's fairly substantial. You're certainly thrifty and not wasting any funds, continuously developing the mine. This makes you unique among many of the small miners in the space, doesn't it? We are not unique. I'm pretty sure there are more people like us out there, and we know that some people are following us and try to apply similar approach to other projects. Where we believe we are really good is in controlling our operating costs. So one thing is to produce gold. The other thing is obviously how much profit margin you are making on every gold ounce you produce. Obviously, as I said before, we don't break even yet because we don't have the amount of ounces, but we have managed to keep our operating costs very low as a totality in terms of Guyana cost and obviously Canada. Now, out of independent engineering reports that were done on Eagle Mountain, over the mine life of the soft rock saprolite project, which is about eight years, the operating cost will be about $500 or $490 to be more accurate, US dollars per ounce as cash cost in Guyana and about $630 per ounce when I include Canadian overheads, sustaining capital and GNA in, in everywhere, everything in Guyana. So, this kind of cost leave a significant profit margin over even the current gold prices, albeit that people think this uh, gold market is pretty bullish at the moment, and I do believe. The only parameter I don't control, I always say I control my operating costs and uh, the cost of our team in Guyana and in Canada, and therefore that's our target, to deliver ultimately the mine, even at the bigger scale, but producing gold at $650 per ounce. You mentioned a mine life of eight years or so. What are you doing to step out or expand the resource over time? We've got about 5,000 hectares of land uh, that is all perspective. The mining activities at the moment take space around 250 hectares. So we've got quite a significant amount of land to explore as we go. And I would like to remind everybody that Eagle Mountain itself uh, is about 1 million ounces as compliant resource at about 1.45 grams per ton at 0.5 grams cut off. The deposit is open in three lateral directions and in depth. So I would like to say in 2013 when we stopped drilling, it was not 
not a case of running out of oil. We ran out of money because of the kind of uh, difficulties that the markets went there at that time for any junior miner or explorer, put it this way. So we are drilling now mainly within the resource because of uh, great control on our pit number four. But in 2017, we will initiate a drilling program on the periphery of the deposit. Hopefully, we will expand the ounces. Now, the other key point here is, is that uh, at the moment, we are mining only the soft rock uh, material. But uh, at the end, when you pre-strip the surficial one-to-one strip ratio, effectively, surficial ore material, you will go into the hard rock mineralization. This is a completely outside these eight years. That is going to extend the mine life beyond the 11 years of this deposit and at the moment we haven't done any engineering studies on the hard rock potential but we will do as the time comes and we will not spend other people's money we will spend our own free cash flow to do this exploration which is very important for any shareholder or any investor down the line we are pretty strong in the country we have a great operating team both on the management side but also on the Guyanese side tremendous tradesmen and workers that have experience from mining operations from other companies and we feel we will deliver the mine all the milestones as we promised them on time and on budget. And I should mention that you're a member of a very competent management team with a proven track record that is successfully developing with your sister company, the Las Chispas Project in Sonora State, Mexico. I'm talking about Silvercrest Metals. Absolutely, we are very proud of that. The management team in Canada is obviously very experienced. He has discovered deposits, he has uh, sold deposits, he has sold companies but most importantly has delivered value real value to shareholders and what we try to do in Guyana is effectively something we haven't done before in that country but the same management team has worked in Mexico as you said and the Silvercrest Mines has uh, incredible support or had in the past and now in the new vehicle too so it's a good a realistic team down the earth team we don't spend too much money and we don't pay ourselves that high yet it's just a decent team that is keen and experienced in developing projects and delivering value. Obviously, the time will come when the deposit will be significantly higher, bigger, and at that time, obviously, we will do different economics. But at this stage and for the next few years, this company is focused only in improving the quality of the recoveries from the gold, in increasing throughput, all that in an environment where we respect the environment and the social structure around our deposit. And obviously, we safety is number one. So whatever we have done up to now, we had uh, zero accidents and uh, zero lost time. And it's a great jurisdiction in South America. It's the only English-speaking country in South America, so effectively it's in uh, uh, British Guyana used to be called, it's an ex-UK colony, independent, and this year celebrated its 50th year anniversary from independence. Secular democracy based on British law and British standards, which is very good for us as a Canadian company. Give an example, Alice, when I consolidate our books at the end of the year, or when the auditors work to check our finances, the job is very simple because in Guyana the standards or the accounting standards are exactly the same like in Canada. So it's a British system with significant influence from the United States and I would like to remind people that last year if they Google Exxon and Guyana the biggest discovery of oil on earth happened offshore in Guyana so by ExxonMobil. So this has put completely new light into the future
nature of the government's approach to the country, the extractive laws in terms of not only mining but also oil and gas, and definitely tremendous prospects for this beautiful country with very, very nice people that are very supportive. So more than 29% of the GDP of Guyana comes from the extractive industry. So we are there to stay for a long time and uh, deliver value to local stakeholders and also all our shareholders. Giannis, thanks for another great conversation. I appreciate the update and thanks for joining me today on the program. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk and encourage your listeners to put the company there right on the screen and check our news releases as we bring them every month. I've been speaking with Giannis Sitos, the president of Gold Source Mines, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as GXS and in the U.S. as GXSFF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Michael Raps, Vice President of Corporate Communications for Silvercrest Metals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SIL. Silvercrest is a Canadian precious metals exploration company headquartered in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's focused on new discoveries, value-added acquisitions, targeting production in Mexico's historic precious metals district, including three properties in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. The company was formed following the acquisition of Silvercrest Mines by First Majestic Silver Corporation. Silvercrest Metals Las Chispas project has proven to be potentially prolific as of late with discoveries of possible Bonanza-grade silver equivalent resource in the Las Chispas and William Tell veins. Mike, welcome to the program. One of the questions that some of our listeners may have had a few months ago when you were releasing numbers on the Bonanza grades of the Las Chispas project is, are they continuous? Are the grades high all the way through? And according to a recent Silvercrest news release, they are. That's actually true. We have seen further continuity of the high grades at the Las Chispas project. Although the width might be narrow, you know, it's over one to five meters, they are potentially mineable thicknesses. So we are very encouraged to what we have seen over the last few weeks. And we have completed phase one drilling and we are looking at starting phase two this fall. We've seen all the way through this year a substantial increase in share price compared to where we started in my mind last November and December. You've been able to deliver astounding results over the course of time with regard to resource potentially in the ground. We all know as well that this particular management team has had proven success in the past in this area, and there's little reason to believe that they cannot deliver again. It's not always smart to speculate on these things, but all of this is worth taking note of. If I was to look it up, when we hit our $4 high, I think we have increased over 2,000% year to date. And basically, you mentioned two of the reasons why it's definitely, you know, August 2nd when we released our first batch of news of the uh, drill assays and I haven't seen the market react so positively to good drill results as we have seen here on August the 2nd. The grades were impressive. Bonanza grades, you called it just earlier. Secondly, reputation of the management in the marketplace is, I believe, one of the reasons why we have seen such an increase in share price because the old Silvercrest Mines management right, has always delivered on their promises and Eric Fear, who is currently the president and CEO of the company, has said that his his ultimate vision is to do it again and turn this into a producer. And then, you know, listeners shouldn't forget that we also highly leveraged to the silver price and silver and gold have done unexpectedly well over the last 
six to eight months. So all of this combined basically led to that hike in the share price. Of course, the price of silver and gold can fluctuate, as is the case in recent days, Mike, but you factor that into potential production costs when it becomes time to do so. Much of this silver is easy to access. Historically speaking, there are 11 and a half kilometers of underground workings on the Las Chispas project, and we have reopened and gained access to about six kilometers to date. So we have done a lot of work going into the underground, cleaning it out very systematically, taking channel samples from the footfall and the hanging wall, and drilling also basically will define those areas that are those high-grade pockets where we can go and extract a 100,000-ton bulk sample. Because if you remember, when we talked about the underground drilling permit, we have basically applied for that. We should be receiving that any day now. And with that underground drilling permit, it will also include the permit to conduct a 100,000-ton bulk sample. And so all this past drilling that we have done, all this future drilling that we will do this fall, lasting into the new year, all of that will be used to define those high-grade areas. Since you have this infrastructure at Las Chispas, it's not extremely expensive to develop compared to other projects in the world. Yeah, I don't think so. I think having all this infrastructure, as you said, in place, I mean, first of all, how to access the property, that's always very very important to the management of this company is that you want to be close to good infrastructure such as the highway. From our door to the underground portal, it takes about 45 minutes drive. And it's on highway, and then once you turn off the highway, it's about six kilometers to the portal. So that's important. And then, yeah, like you said, we have all these underground workings, and you get all these drifts where you can just get into the underground from an infrastructure perspective, really favorable. How are you capitalized right now? We still have have about three and a half million dollars cash in the bank so we are definitely in a really good strong position to start the phase two drilling with that cash but the budget for that will be a little higher than the one that we did just recently as we are looking to drill more meters than what we drilled in phase one and potentially have more than just one drill rig on site because the phase two drilling will include an underground drill rig and a surface drill rig. We have enough cash in bank to start off phase two drilling. Are you going into production eventually or is there a buyout strategy, a positive one, similar to what we saw with the previous incarnation, Silvercrest Mines? You never know really, Ellis. You know, that's a question that only the future holds, but right now we don't have a for sale sign hanging by the door. Our strategy going forward is do it very systematically and based on the successes that we receive. Once we have completed phase two drilling, for example, we're going to compile all of the drill data and we'll initiate our maiden resource estimate. We expect that to be done in the first half of next year. Then you'll be looking at kicking off the bulk sample that I was talking earlier and you'll be starting to extract all this mineralized material from the underground and you just move on and move forward and you keep on developing this project. I think if you want to look at this from a timeline perspective, you probably be looking at easily three to five years before you would put that into production. There's a number of steps that you would have to do before you get into a production scenario. Recently, you put out news concerning the William Tell vein, an unmined vein, which means exactly that. It's never been mined. You did some samples there. What did you find? That is an extremely encouraging news release for, for us because what happened here in the past is these historic miners, it appears that they have mined on strike until they hit a fault. And that cross-cutting fault 
really displaced the, the vein, and so these miners just didn't continue any further and investigate it any further, so they went back to mine the Las Chispas vein. And as you know, Las Chispas has never been drill tested before, and so when we started putting some drill holes into the area, it intercepted the unmined portion of the William Tell vein, and that is very encouraging to us. That basically means there's a lot of unmined material sitting there, and what phase two drilling will also do is we will go ahead and drill test the southern extension of the William Tell vein to see how long the strike lengths will be. That was a very encouraging find for us. According to what I've seen in this news release, you found potential grades of greater than 400 grams per ton. This is incredibly significant. This is a major, major project potentially for Silvercrest. It is. It definitely is. You know, we have looked at this quite intensively and we said to ourselves that everything over 150 grams per ton silver equivalent would be economic in our view. Uh, obviously, a 43101 would all you know confirm that. But if we see those kind of grades, the 300, 400 grams per ton server equivalent, yes, they have dropped off to the Bonanza type grades that we have put out August 2nd. But it still shows us some very economic grades that are coming forth from all these veins, and we are very encouraged. And keep in mind that when we drilled Las Chispas and the William Tell vein, we only drilled that first because we had. A, access to the underground there, and B, we received the surface drilling permit easier and, and quicker than the underground. Because what the underground drilling permit will give us is that we now can go ahead and drill the Bobby Canora target, which holds the Bobby Canora vein. And that was the biggest producer, historically speaking, when they mined there between 1880 and 1930. Mike, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. I look forward to more news in the very near future. Thanks again, Alice. It was great talking. To you. I've been speaking with Michael Rapsch, Vice President of Corporate Communications for Silvercrest Metals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SIL. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com, and download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Chris Bunka, Chairman and CEO of Lexaria Bioscience. Lexaria trades in the U.S. as LXRP and on the Canadian Securities Exchange's LXX. Lexaria Bioscience is a revenue-generating food sciences company focused on the delivery of hemp oil compounds through gourmet foods based on proprietary technologies. The company is actively developing and selling hemp oil-based gourmet food products through their subsidiary, Vipova, and under the Lexaria Energy brand. Chris, welcome to the program. Tell us about Lexaria Bioscience. We've come across a technology that we've developed that, quite frankly and audaciously, could actually change the world. It changes the way people absorb beneficial molecules, and it's really good at doing that. When you travel outside North America, especially in Europe, you notice just how much better the food is without all of those harmful chemicals and GMOs in it. The difference in taste and how your body processes food is incredible. Let's discuss how your technology may assist us in processing what we eat and how we live. You're right, and... It all comes down to some real rudimentary basic science. There's a word called bioavailability, and there's another word called absorption. Absorption is part of bioavailability. Bioavailability is four things. There's four barriers that anything you eat or drink go through before they're able to get any of their 
say, beneficial vitamins or minerals into your bloodstream. First one's taste. Obviously, if something tastes awful, you won't eat it. If it tastes really bitter, you're going to be suspicious of it, and that's the way we've been programmed. And so taste is a bioavailability barrier. The second one is the stomach acids. You have strong acids in your stomach that physically masticate and break apart the foods you eat. They also kill pathogens. You can imagine being an old 20,000, 100,000 years ago, being kind of prehistoric, running around eating blueberries. Maybe a bird has defecated on those blueberries. The stomach acids kill the pathogens on your food. It's a misconception that your stomach absorbs food. Your stomach does not. Some simple sugars, 95% of all the absorption of foods and minerals, the things that you consume, happens in your intestine. And that's your third bioavailability barrier, getting past the intestinal wall. Intestine is a really complex organism. There's all sorts of receptor cells. There's all sorts of biomechanical pathways. If you have a big steak dinner, your body detects proteins, maybe carbohydrates, maybe long-chain fatty acids, short-chain fatty acids, all sorts of different things. There's a big feedback mechanism in your intestine that tells your intestinal wall what's there and what is allowed permitted entry to that intestinal wall to get through it. Obviously, whatever doesn't get through it is excreted. And then the fourth bioavailability barrier is your liver. It's your organ that's highly evolved to do a couple of things, primarily filter out things that should not get to your bloodstream. And secondarily, everything that does get to your bloodstream, your liver transform into a water-soluble form because your blood is obviously water-based. And anything that you eat needs to be in a water-soluble form. Our technology is the only technology that we're aware of in the world, including Big Pharma, that actually addresses each of those four barriers and helps to deliver more of the beneficial molecules that you eat across those barriers and into your bloodstream. How have you proven that, Chris? We've proven it in two ways that are science-based and then through uh, tens of thousands of consumer servings. Number one, uh, last summer, the summer of 2015, we performed what's called an in vitro bioavailability test, an absorption test. We actually took live human intestinal cells in a dish environment, introduced our products to one side of those cells, and the lab technicians are able to measure the absorption rates across that cell barrier. You do that against controls, i.e. similar products that do not have our technology and you measure the difference, the different rates of absorption. The black tea that we tested, black tea, uh, our branded tea, Vipova tea, that had cannabidiol, CBD in it, with our technology tested as high as 499% greater absorption than without the technology. In January of 2016, we performed a second test and this was in live human volunteers. It was called a biomarker study. So that is we test for something that your body manufactures when it comes in contact with a known substance. So again, we tested for cannabidiol. We also tested for THC. And each of those cannabinoids, when they reach your bloodstream, but only when they reach your bloodstream, provoke the production in your body of something called nitric oxide. So they are a nitric oxide antagonist. And nitric oxide is a very, very healthful, beneficial substance. Your body produces it naturally in response to certain things you eat. For example, there are some molecules in spinach that will provoke a nitric oxide response. Nitric oxide is really, really a great thing. A Nobel Prize in Medicine was awarded on the discovery of what it does, and it's a vasodilator. It opens up your blood vessels. Bigger pipe, 
lower pressure, bigger pipe, higher volumes, and higher oxygen and molecular delivery to your muscles. So in the fitness community, nitric oxide supplements are highly sought after for improved athletic performance. Viagra is a vasodilator. And so vasodilation is a healthful thing. And when we tested all of our consumer products in this test in January 2016, we found anywhere between, and I'm just going to give you rough numbers, between roughly a 500% and a roughly 1,000% increase in nitric oxide production. And that was something else that was really important about that test. Not only did we get that numeric range, which was obviously important, but the time of onset was really important in that study. So unlike the lab environment, the in vitro study, obviously we're testing human people. And so you can imagine people sitting down in chairs and having a cup of our tea or a bite of our protein bar. And at 15, 30, 45, and 60 minute intervals being measured for their levels of nitric oxide. Well, what was fascinating to us, not only were the elevated levels of nitric oxide production, but the rapidity with which it happened. And in 100% of our test subjects came they experienced elevated nitric oxide levels in as little as 15 minutes. What does that mean? Why did that make us excited? It made us excited because we know that it is virtually impossible for a food substance to go from your mouth to your stomach to your intestine to and through your liver and into your blood as quickly as 15 minutes. It's virtually impossible. And that told us that our third bioavailability enhancement, the intestinal wall barrier, that it was acting exactly as we had designed it. Because what I didn't tell you about the intestinal wall is there's only two ways for molecules to get through it, either into the liver and then into your bloodstream, or for a few things, and not very many, about 5 to 10% of the things that you can eat, there is a pathway that bypasses the liver, and it's called your lymphatic system. And when you are able to manipulate things the way we are with long-chain fatty acids, long-chain fatty acids are recognized as such in your intestinal system and they are shunted away from your liver into the lymphatic system. And that means you get more of it quicker into your bloodstream. What kind of immediate effects can you expect potentially from something like that? Well, it depends what the molecule in question is, right? So if it's um, a vitamin E, time doesn't make that much of a difference, right? Time of onset for vitamin E, kind of who cares? If it's pain relief, let's say you're taking acetaminophen, commonly known as Tylenol. Let's say you're taking a Tylenol. Well, rapidity of onset is really important if, you're, if you've got a headache. If you are a person in the marijuana industry who is using a cannabis edible, a cannabis chocolate, for example, a rapidity of onset is really important because you can obviously feel the psychotropic effects much more quickly. It's also a safety issue. So as a lot of governments are realizing, one of the potential downfalls of marijuana edibles is with people who are not experienced, they tend to overdose, overconsume edible products because it often takes an hour or even an hour and a half before they start to feel the effect of the THC. With our technology, we can cut that time to as little as 15 to 20 minutes. And that helps to reduce the likelihood that people will overconsume. So depending on the molecule, pain relief and cannabinoids, certainly rapidity of onset is really important. How close are we to getting these products out to the market? In the United States, our 
CBD or cannabidiol products are already in the market. Under U.S. federal law, there's a convoluted pathway utilizing hemp, but if you follow that pathway, these products are federally legal in the United States, and so we do sell federally in the U.S. already. In Canada, it is more difficult, so we do not have any formal distribution in Canada. Incidentally, in the United Kingdom, just in the last 48 hours, the United Kingdom is the first government in the Western world that has, with formality, recognized cannabidiol as a medicine. That just happened this week. So the regulatory framework around cannabidiol delivery in the UK is under development right now. For THC product, it's a different animal. Lexaria is not licensed as a THC, a marijuana company. And so in order to get our technology into the THC or medical marijuana market, we license our tech to existing licensed companies in each state. And we have a couple of those under license right now. What is your profitability? Revenue stream. Why should a potential investor consider investing in Lexaria Bioscience? Well, Lexaria, you have to first, I think, recognize at what stage we're at. So you would have to say that we are certainly past the formative exploration type stage. We are into revenue. Our revenues this year are very, very small. Believe it or not, that is according to plan because we see a two-pronged business approach for us. One is through our consumer products. And as I say, we have coffee, tea, hot chocolate, and protein bars right now. We're launching a new product line in the next several weeks, and we've been kind of coy about that. We're calling it Project Turbo. But about three quarters of our expected revenue streams will come from technology licensing. So let me just give you one example of that. As I mentioned, we are not licensed to marijuana company in any jurisdiction. But just like a company that sells light bulbs to a marijuana company, we don't need to be to participate in the sector. And in fact, our business model is superior to those who are geographically constrained with licenses because we are not. We can participate in every marijuana market around the world because what we license is our tech and expertise to companies who have that license. So the biggest one that I could possibly imagine, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not even hinting that there is anything like this in development, but if you thought of a company like GW Pharmaceuticals, which is clearly the leader over a $3 billion market cap, and they have phase three clinical studies underway right now in the U.S. for their cannabidiol-based products. It's our opinion that our technology would make their medicine or their drug more effective than it is. So our technology has application to a great many other companies in the space. In the cannabis space, that's one thing. And then in the pain relief market, our patent suite, we have a very large suite of intellectual property, has application to all sorts of different drugs and molecules. There's a lot of ways that we can make other companies' business plans more effective than they are. And I think that that's something that people have to consider. So we're trying to build longer term revenue streams based on technology licensing agreements. And those licensing agreements are very, very profitable to us because obviously, like software companies, once we have developed the technology, our limitations on spinning revenue off are only limited to the number of times we can license it. I think one of the great things about Lexaria Bioscience is that you're a facilitator for many types of applications. Everyone is potentially your friend. You have protected intellectual property. It seems as if there might be plenty of upside here. 
Well, we really think so. And we've identified four very distinct, and there may be more, but we've identified four very distinct market sectors for what we call verticals. One of them, of course, the early adopters are the players in the cannabis sector. The second one will be the vitamin and supplement sector, because in our patent portfolio, we name several fat-soluble vitamins. The third is in the what's known as NSAIDs, or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. They also are named in our patent applications, and those are things like acetaminophen, common drug names like Tylenol, Advil, and aspirin, as well as the prescription varieties of NSAIDs. And then the fourth vertical is perhaps the biggest of all of them, and that's nicotine, because nicotine is also a fat-soluble molecule that our technology works with very, very well. Each of those sectors has been named in our patent applications, and I'll tell you we have, depending on how you want to classify it, we have either six or eight patents pending. We have one of those patents that has been allowed as of July of this year, the U.S. Patent Office provided us with our notice of allowance, and we have patent applications worldwide through the Patent Cooperation Treaty. There's a lot to work on, and just like a large pharma company would have to go through all the FDA trials, which take years, we recognize that the vertical segments that we are targeting, in some cases, like nicotine, and that's going to take years to play itself out. Others, like the marijuana, the cannabis market, and the CBD market, well, that's happening in real time, and we're, we're really getting traction. We have discussions underway right now with companies in three countries. We are doing trial work, formulation work. Just last week, our president, John Doherty, John is a pharmacologist well-known in Canada as the former president of Helix Biopharma, very well-known Canadian biopharma company. John, just last week, was in the U.S. at a prospective client's location in their R&D facility doing formulation work on their products, utilizing our technology. And this is a common occurrence. This is something we're doing all the time. We have a lot going on. We're a small company. We know that, so we're not trying to buy off everything at one time. We're trying to work through that progression of the cannabinoids, the vitamins, and the NSAID really as the first segments that we'll be interested in. We've had discussions now with companies in Europe, America, some everyday household name companies that are looking at what we do because our microencapsulation technology is very real. It has a lot of profound applications throughout the food industry. When you're doing your due diligence on a company as a potential investor, one should see how vested in it financially the management team is. How much skin in the game do you have, for instance? I'm a big believer in this company. I have invested in it more times than I literally could tell you. What I mean by that is the fact that I've been buying stock in the open market for much of the last two years. I have hundreds and hundreds of insider trading transactions that have been filed with regulators in Canada and the United States. Every one of them, 100% of those are purchases. I've never sold a share of stock in this company in my life. I've been a shareholder for over a decade. Currently, I own something in the neighborhood of 25 or 27% of the company, around 13 million shares. And I'm into it for something like 1.7 or $1.9 million US. I'm into it deep. I want to be because I think this is, and I'm not just saying this, saying this because I mean it. I'm 55 years old. I've never worked on a company that I believe in as strongly in my life as I do in Lexaria and the good that we can deliver to people. You know, you go back to that talk about what our tech does and how we deliver more molecules, more of those substances, and we do it through something called
called conjugation. It's a hydrogen bond that we create with the payload molecule and a long chain fatty acid. And those are all sorts of big terms, but here's what it means. In effect, shorthand, if our technology works with, say, acetaminophen and you have a headache, then in theory, you could take a 100 milligram acetaminophen tablet with our technology and get the same pain relief as you currently do with a 500 milligram tablet. And that can save lives because NSAIDs cause thousands of deaths per year through liver and kidney damage. So you're really saving wear and tear on the liver because there have been several reports that over-the-counter drugs like Tylenol and ibuprofen can be very damaging to the liver, especially when mixed with alcohol. Extremely damaging. Here's the big one, and it's it's nicotine. I mean, over 6 million people a year die from cigarette smoking. 6 million. Nobody dies from smoking cannabis, virtually. So 6 million deaths a year from smoking cigarettes, but it's not the nicotine that's killing people. It's the lung disease and cancer, the carcinogens from burning the tobacco. It's the delivery mechanism that kills people. Nicotine, in fact, in small amounts, has been shown to be an effective treatment for things like Alzheimer's. So our tech, in theory, could take nicotine, put it in a cup of coffee, and allow people to use that as a smoking cessation technique as they wean themselves from the two things that they are addicted to. One is the behavioral habit of smoking a cigarette, and the other one is a nicotine addiction. So if we were able to put the equivalent of one cigarette's worth of nicotine into a cup of coffee, we could, in theory, eliminate lung disease caused by cigarette smoking. That's a big deal. And that's a far-off target. It's not something we're working on today. But that is the sort of profound effect that our technology could have. When you bring that back to Earth and you talk about marijuana, lower dosages, NSAIDs, lower dosages, we've all read dozens of stories in the media for a decade about how you waste your money on vitamins because it all ends up in the toilet. And for the vast majority of cases, that is true. We can change that. So essentially, it's possible that Lexaria Biosciences technology can assist in changing the face of over-the-counter medicine and healthcare assistance products. That is exactly true. Just think about the benefits. If, you know, like right now, everywhere you go in North America, you can buy children's cereals that have multivitamins in them. You buy milk with vitamin D enrichment. There's all sorts of examples of those sorts of products. Where you do not see them is in a lot of processed foods like soups and dinner entrees and things like that. There's a lot of reasons for that, including heat and other things. We begin to open the door to enabling that. So we start to enable the delivery of, say, vitamin E in a soup product or some other product on the shelf that heretofore has not been able to do it. The reason, for example, that there are no edible forms of nicotine on the market today is because nobody's found a way to get it delivered into the bloodstream. It all gets destroyed. Our methodology changes that. So yeah, we can affect over-the-counter drugs. We can affect vitamin and herbal supplement delivery. We can obviously, and we are affecting cannabinoid delivery. And by the way, the difference in taste because of our microencapsulation with long-chain fatty acids, we've had as much as 95% of respondents who have tried THC chocolates made with our technology in the state of Colorado, as many as 95% of them have said they cannot taste the THC or the marijuana at all. The chocolate actually tastes like chocolate. That's a big bioavailability issue in and of itself. So we know it works. Tell me about the management team, Chris. Well, truly, the company's 
only as good as the people in it. And I'm not the shining star in our company. I take a back seat. John Doherty is our president. He's a pharmacologist, toxicologist. He has several patents behind his name for the delivery of cancer therapeutic drugs and a well-regarded public company biopharmaceutical executive. Uh, we also have people on our board like Ted McKechnie. Ted's extremely well-known across Canada as the former president of Maple Leaf Foods and it also has had stints at fairly well-known companies like PepsiCo and Frito-Lay and Kraft Foods. And then there's myself and others as well. One of our advisors and the person who heads up our intellectual property side is Dr. Ed Ergenzinger. Dr. Ergenzinger has a PhD in neuroscience and somehow found time to get his law degree. He also lectures at Duke and Vanderbilt University. So we have an amazing team, a world-class team of people and experts where we need them. Really, really proud of our team. Chris, this has certainly been an enlightening conversation. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thanks, Alice. Uh, I had a great time and I hope I was able to uh, provide a little more depth to what we're doing. It is an exciting time at the company. I've been speaking with Chris Bunka, Chairman and CEO of Lexario Bioscience, trading in the U.S. as LXRP and on the Canadian Securities Exchange as LXX. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website. That's ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Sean Dollinger, the president and CEO of Namaste Technologies Incorporated. Namaste Technologies trades in the U.S. under the symbol NXTTF and on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol N. Namaste Technologies is a global leader in vaporizer product distribution and manufacturing and owns and operates over 30 online retail sites in 20 plus countries and is on pace to become the largest e-commerce distributor of vaporizers and accessories globally. Namaste manufactures and distributes the Guru Vaporizer, an enhanced vaporizer capable of seamlessly vaporizing liquids, concentrates, and dry herbs from a single portable unit. Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell us about Namaste Technologies. We started it two years ago. Corey and I have over 30 years of online experience between the two of us, and we thought when we started in this business that we would be doing just three or four sales a day and supplement income. And then that kind of exploded into uh, 100 sales a day. And very quickly, we grew into what we are today. And when we started in the business, we didn't want to just carry other people's branded products. We wanted to create something unique. That's when Grizzly Originals was born. And the Grizzly Guru is our vaporizer currently. And the thing that makes it so unique compared to others, it's a unit that not only does dry herb, but it also does liquid as well as waxes. It's completely unique on that basis. How is that possible? We came up with a modular design. What we found other companies were doing was making makeshift solutions. So they would take, for example, oils and create jars, which didn't really work properly in the unit itself. So what we did was design parts that work properly for each substance and make it all work all together on the Grizzly Guru. So these components are all interchangeable in the device, correct? Absolutely. And they all come, it's not like they're add-on pricing or anything like that. It all comes standard. And our belief is if you're purchasing a product, it should work with everything that you might use it with. Is there anyone else that's making a product like the Grizzly Guru? There's similar companies out there, but 
we have something that's completely unique due to the whole design aspect behind it. And we're thinking of sticking with that concept for any products we produce in the future. So there'll be a Grizzly light coming out pretty soon, and that unit will work in the same way. It's just going to be a bit of a smaller unit. You said that you're vertically integrated, which means that you're the manufacturer. Where's that taking place? And what was behind the decision to do that? So we used a company in the U.S. to develop the prototype and the unit for us. Corey, my partner and co-founder of Namaste, he's an engineer, and he worked very closely with them in designing it. Then what we did was we went over to our contacts in China. Corey and I have been doing business in China for 10 plus years. We've made very sophisticated cell phone repeater systems, and we figured that the manufacturer that was doing that for us would have no problem with a vaporizer. So we took the drawings that we had done and brought them over there. For a year, we've been working on the development of the unit. And then once it lands here in the U.S., it goes through a whole quality control in-house to make sure that it's perfect for when our customers receive it. Is this patented technology or patent pending? A friend of mine who does a lot of business in China and supplies a lot of department stores here in the U.S. and Canada, he said, Sean, you should speak to my lawyer in Shenzhen. His name's Sylvester. And Sylvester had a very successful business in Florida practicing law, and he saw a fantastic opportunity to move to Shenzhen, China, to teach U.S. companies how to properly protect themselves. See, if you have a patent in the U.S., but stuff is being manufactured in China, there's There's no way of really shutting down a facility. They don't recognize the patents or trademarks in China. The way around that is actually going and registering the trademarks in China. And then if by some chance somebody is manufacturing or copying it, you're actually able to go in and shut them down. Taking these particular steps is a bit of a game changer for a company like yours. Absolutely. And that's what we do also. Like Namaste is about creating positive energy and working with other companies, the companies we work with, even other manufacturers that we sell their products. We've told them about Sylvester and we've shared his name with them. And as you can imagine, it was news to a lot of them. That's really what we're about here, kind of taking Tesla's model, how he shared his whole design that he developed and wants the best for the space. I think that he's a leader and that's what we try to be in this space. How did you become the number two e-commerce retailer globally of vaporizers and accessories? How did that happen? Our background is bringing products around the world. So we get a 88% discount with FedEx that we take advantage of by being able to bring products pretty much anywhere in the world within two business days. We don't want to enter into a market, especially the U.S. market, which is so competitive where here you are a startup company and everybody's cutting each other's prices just to be able to make sales. So we said, hey, let's bring X product to the UK, take advantage of the pound, X product to Europe, take advantage of the euro, and bring unique products around the globe. So that's how we started. And instead of getting into this pricing war, we ended up looking and finding a company called Vapor Seller. And we met them through a product called Haze, which they develop and they still manufacture to today. Thailand's the owner of that company. And when we got together, we really hit it off. And he was coming here to sell us on Haze products. In the end, it turned into a full partnership where we ended up saying, hey, why don't we take over Vapor Seller to have our entry? into the U.S. So they had already been in business in the U.S. market for roughly five years. Over the five years, they had a customer base of well over 100,000 people, which then becomes really interesting for us with the Grizzly Guru product to be able to go ahead and cross-pollinate and sell through 
that whole network. So that's really the steps that we took to get to that stage. And then URT1, which is our latest acquisition, which is an asset purchase agreement for the two big domains they have. Everyone does it .co.uk and everyone does it .com. And that site's been around for 16 years. They're the oldest website around, and they have completely different range of products. So we feel that the range pretty much from A to Z in the space, we now have a skew for. And what we will be working on for the next couple months is really carrying all those products on every single one of our brands. How do we protect miners from access to these devices? That's a great question. We now have a disclaimer on every website, and we know that it shouldn't just stop there because anybody still can. And then on a couple of the websites, we have pop-ups to verify. However, the FDA has put in a new regulation that upon checking out of a website that a person's ID needs to be verified through a special system. So we have that integrated on some of our websites as well. What was your decision, Sean, behind going public? Last year, one of our suppliers saw Namaste as a great step for them into international markets. They're an extremely large distributor in the U.S. market, and Namaste was a huge client of theirs, and they approached us to buy us. And at the time, Corey's neighbor, Mark, said, guys, you guys are crazy. Why do you want to get out of this space? Sure, it's a great quick payday, but you guys are set up so great. You have such great online experience. Why run away from it? So they introduced us to the right people to start the process of going public. Of course, it took longer than we thought it would take, but in February of this year, we finally did go public. And it's been great because it gives us the opportunity to go ahead and make acquisitions with shares. For example, this latest acquisition was complete share-based. There's no way Corey and I had $3 million or a bank would loan us $3 million to go and buy Everyone Does It, for example. Here, it was verifying that the value was really there and making sure our shareholders were protected and going ahead and being able to pretty much double our revenue for shares. How many shares do you have out there? Presently, we have 60 million shares. The market has stabilized a bit for public companies in the space, potentially. It might be less risky. You're a company that's generating revenue. Tell our audience why you believe Namaste Technologies might be a nice potential investment opportunity. Like you said, we had a nice little pop, but the thing about pops, sometimes they come down super quick. And the great thing that we've seen here over the last few days is millions of shares traded once again, and our stock is really holding in nicely. So it seems like markets are finally understanding about our sector and how great of a sector it is and how much opportunity there is out there. And as you touched base on, Namaste is one of the few companies that actually has substantial revenue. If you look at some of the licensed producers, the evaluations they're getting are much higher. And Namaste is the most diversified play. A lot of the people I started speaking to in some of the groups that helped us go public, they were in the mining and oil industry. They said to go out there and just market it, and we said, hey, we've got a a real business here, and we want to build it up and show the world. So that's what we stayed with. We've been building up a, a real business here. Like I said, our revenue is one of the strongest out there. And back to the whole story about the people who introduced us to the market, they kept using a term when we were going out there calling the picks and shovels of the oil industry. And that's exactly what Namaste is to 
the marijuana sector as well as the sector we're in. So we're hardware and peripherals, which is much different. So the legalization of marijuana in Canada was huge. And now, as we all know, they're talking about the legalization from a rec standpoint. And that's where we believe there's massive upside in the future. And perhaps sometime in the near future, it will be legal here in California where nearly 40 million people reside. Yeah, absolutely. So every time something like that takes place, it's definitely increases the whole marketplace. One more thing, Sean. As you know, consuming marijuana unfiltered through a pipe or otherwise basically setting it on fire is in fact dangerous to the lungs. Does the grizzly guru negate all of that harshness to the lungs, making it essentially safe to use? To be completely honest, I'm not a doctor and I'm sure there's not enough research out there either to give you a straight up answer, but in theory, the thought of burning something instead of vaporizing or if you're burning paper, for example, and that's going into your lungs. Uh, And here, we're not using anything like that. We just have a glass intake to a ceramic chamber. I think that the answer is obvious. Well, Sean, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. Hey, thanks for having me and have a great rest of your day. I've been speaking with Sean Dollinger, the president and CEO of Namaste Technologies, trading in the U.S. under the symbol NXTTF and on the Canadian Securities Exchange as N. Find more information on this company by going to their website, namastetechnologies.com. And listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. they paid us for the privilege. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 